So we're in uh, Luke chapter 12, and what's been allocated to me is verses 32 to 53, which we'll read together. Um, and um, as is the right of um, the speaker, we can tweak the title, which I've done. So my title for the talk is Ready and Watching, Treasure in Heaven. Ready and Watching, Treasure in Heaven. So let's read Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like when watching for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the manservants and the maidservants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does, does the things punishment and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you but division. From now on there will be five in one family, divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some quite um, challenging statements from the Lord, which we try and unravel together. Um, I think it was Ian in his ministry last week 
drew our attention to the context of this uh, interaction that Luke has recorded. If you go back to the beginning of, of the chapter, of chapter 12, um, you have a crowd, and it's a pretty rough crowd. It's actually, you get the sense there's a stampede going on. So you have the Lord, and he's um, most intimate with his chosen disciples, but he's not alone with them. So the crowds have come as well, and you have the whole sense of a mixture of people. There's those who are curious and they're kind of thinking, you know, I want to learn more about this person. There's those who are um, furious because they believe he's making claims which he has no right to claim, so they're out to catch him out. There's those who are genuinely wanting to follow him. They, they recognise um, who he is and, and want to listen. You know, that's the natural thing to do. And you've got this whole mixture of people and they've got different agendas. They're at different stages in their appreciation of who Jesus is. And he's the, initially at least, talking to his disciples. And I think it's really important for us to recognise that there is a dynamic going on that only the Lord really knows about. So in his infinite knowledge, he knows what's in the minds of his disciples. He knows what's in the mind of the guy who shouts from the crowd, tell my brother to split the inheritance. Um, he knew exactly what his motivation was. And then you've got the Pharisees who um, are furious about Jesus' uh, implications that they are going through the motions and are insincere and hypocrites. And then you've got the disciples, you know, and they, they're eager to understand what the Lord really wants them to do. And I, I just have the sense that what we read uh, will, everything that we read that the Lord spoke will mean something to somebody um, in that uh, wide-ranging audience. But not everything means something to everybody. And I think we have to have that perspective too. There are things uh, in the passage which... Um, are principles that we need to identify and apply, but there are also things in the passage, hyperbole, extreme things that the Lord is using to um, emphasize something, overemphasize something, because it's particularly necessary for an individual in the crowd who's got a bad attitude. And trying to discern all of those things going on can prove quite tricky, I think. So um, what I've tried to do in the, in the passage that we have before us with all of that dynamic going on in the background, is to draw out what I think are four principles that apply to whoever we are and uh, whatever stage we're at. And the, the four principles from verse 34, the first is treasure in heaven. I'd like us to <clears throat> reflect on the message that the Lord has about treasure in heaven. Then from verse 37, and also verse 40, just pulling out a couple of words that are quoted in that. The second point is about being ready and watching. Sometimes we talk about, you know, ready and waiting. Um, I think there's an element of being ready and waiting in the Lord's message here. But um, I think it's more than that. And I want to call it ready and watching. And number three is something I've called proportional expectations. <laughs> And that's um, what God expects from us all is different. So he will expect from a child what is appropriate from a child. 
he will expect from someone who's mature and has a clear uh, revelation of God's will, he will expect more. And so number three is proportional expectations. And then number four is um, a call to faithfulness. And the Lord says some really difficult things about him coming and dividing families in that last section. And I think the message here is it's about him and that's all that matters. And what he wants is faithfulness to him and um, obviously the, the importance of um, managing conflict that might come as a consequence of that. So um, if I can say it reverently, the Lord said a lot of things. And if you're in the audience, if the cap fits, wear it. If that thing strikes home, then it's for you. If it doesn't make sense to you, then it's perhaps for somebody else. And that's just how I would encourage us to um, think of, of the detail here, but not overlooking those four principles. So let's think about treasure in heaven, which um, is the first part of what we read. Um, Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. He's giving them, giving his disciples, and, I, and I'm thinking at this point his, his focus is on the disciples themselves, those that are committed to him. He's saying, the Father has given you a, uh, a kingdom, and that's your opportunity to build treasure in heaven. There's a story of a man who had an audience with God, and he says to God, how long is a million years in your world? And God says, well... A million years is a second. So he says, well, how much is a, is a million pounds in your world? And God says, well, a million pounds, just a penny. So God says to him, so the man says to God, so, hmm, can I have a penny? And God says, sure, wait a second. <laughs> it's a, a, a focus on um, where our mind is with respect to material things. And the Lord says, um, where your um, treasure is, there your heart will be as well. And he's saying, um, God has bestowed on you this kingdom and it's a unique opportunity to build up treasure in heaven. You know, he, he says, don't be afraid, um, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. Now we, we've recently, some of us who've had some interaction with visitors that have been along recently, I think have been challenged about, do we have our priorities right? You know, we've got stuff and we've all got stuff and the, you know, how extravagant that might look is relative. So, you know, go to our friends in Burma and we're all billionaires by comparison and um, because they have no material things. I think it's important to recognize, but not, not use it as an excuse, that the Lord was not saying to his disciples, it's wrong to have possessions. The reality is what we have is a consequence of God's giving and his grace. It's quite interesting that even his closest disciples didn't give everything away and follow him. We hear about him uh, dining at uh, Peter's home. Peter never gave up his home. Um, when he was being crucified and he, he asked John to make sure he looked after his mother, the Lord's mother, you know, take her home 
John never gave up his home. Interestingly, perhaps and most pointedly, when um, the Lord met Zacchaeus, the wealthy man, uh, much of his wealth had been acquired illegitimately, and um, Zacchaeus makes a declaration, I, I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor, and if I've um, robbed anyone, then they'll get four times what I've robbed. And the Lord said, salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus never said, I'm giving it all away. And I, and I think there's um, a really important um, calibration point here that it's about our attitude to the material things that the Lord has given us. It's not wrong. They're not wrong in themselves. That very uh, regularly misquoted verse, money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. We ought not to kid ourselves, though. I was uh, <clears throat> listening to a, a sermon from, I forget who it was, um, but he, he was talking about tithing. And curiously, there's no uh, New Testament reference to tithing, apart from one incident where the Lord used it in a negative way. He was criticizing the Pharisees because they were tithing the mint and, and the herbs. And he was saying, you know, you're, you're being legalistic and missing the point. And, you know, in, in New Testament times and the way we operate as a church, our giving is what the Lord promises to give. And it's not measure, measured and it's not in, in, there's no instruction that we should tithe. But we have a, a responsibility, don't we? And we'll come back to this at the end of our talk to um, look at what the Lord has blessed us with and to be generous with it. And this um, sermon that I was listening to was, you know, if you, if you earn 10,000 pounds and you give a tithe, you know, that's a big proportion. If you earn a million pounds and you give a tithe, it's actually not that significant in terms of what you've got left over. Very challenging stuff. And while the principle is there that our orientation should be about being citizens of heaven and we build treasure in heaven, it's not, um, it's not wrong to have um, material blessings that God has given us, but we ought to recognize where they come from. And the reality is we're stewards of those things and uh, we need to be generous before God with them. Let our hearts be challenged with that thought. A couple of uh, quotations from people who we might um, respect. John Piper, the person who thinks the money he makes is meant mainly to increase his comforts on earth, is a fool. Wise people know that all their money belongs to God and should be used to show that God and not money is their treasure, their comfort, their joy and their security. Very famous quote from Jim Elliot, the guy who was murdered in, by South American um, natives when he was 24 as a missionary, and he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Come back to that in a second. So the uh, first point of our passage is about our having a right perspective on our material um, possessions and um, responding to our opportunity to um, invest in building up treasure in heaven. And actually, I don't think it's a mistake that that 
statement that the Lord was making comes immediately prior to what happens next. I think they're, they're connected as all of these things are. So we move into um, what the NIV um, entitles watchfulness. This is our second point. And I'm going to say be ready and watching. It's a kind of proactive waiting. You get the sense that if you're just waiting for something, it's a completely passive process and you're kind of um, hanging around doing nothing and waiting for whatever it is um, that you're hoping will happen. Um, what the Lord is saying to his disciples about watchfulness is this is a proactive thing. If you were to ask me how long does it take to go to Burma, to travel to Burma, I would say 21 hours. And the reason why I would say that is we leave at eight o'clock at night on a Monday, say, and um, we get there on Tuesday afternoon at about four or five o'clock. So there's a 22 hour duration. Uh, it was my trip before last, I was on the way home and I'd said to Ange, uh, flight comes in at 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning. And I'm thinking, you know, that's just the default. I'll leave on one day and return the next day. And I'm on the first leg of the flight from Yangon to, um, to Dubai. And we left Yangon on, um, on the Tuesday morning, you know, expect to arrive on the Wednesday. And we left at 2 a.m. And I'm on the flight thinking, this is a seven hour flight. I've got an hour and a half stop and another seven hour flight. How does that take me all the way to Wednesday morning, which is another 24 hours on? And I'm thinking, I've forgotten about the clock going back. And Ange is expecting me not at 11 o'clock, you know, the next 11 o'clock in the morning, it's the one after. And I'm on the flight, how do I communicate with her? So, uh, we, we land at um, Dubai and I'm thinking, uh, I don't want to phone her up, it's in the middle of the night. Phone her up to tell her I'm going to be home a day early. How, how, you know, what kind of reception is that going to deliver? So I send her a text thinking she's not going to get it till the morning. So she'll get it, I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning. And the message will be, and I'm not coming home at 11 o'clock tomorrow. I'm coming home at 11 o'clock today. <laughs> and I'll just have to take the consequences. And in my mind, there's this mixture of um, delight in seeing each other 24 hours early, but um, trepidation that um, she'll have other things planned and she won't be ready for me to be home at that point. And of course, when my plane lands, I get a response from my text, which says, um, well, words to the effect, I'm so thrilled that you're going to be home early, but uh, I'm not ready. You should have told me, you know, there's things that I'd committed to do that I'm not ready. And when we think about the Lord's return, there's a, a strange mixture of we'll be so delighted to, um, to meet him face to face. And there's, there's you know, there's no... Um, there's no way of diminishing that thrill. It'll be delightful. But the challenge of our passage is, are we ready? Will we be ready when he returns? Um, and of course, the, the problem is we don't know when. And that's his wisdom. He's kind of kept us in the dark so that we'll have this 
um, requirement to be ever ready, always um, anticipating his return and always ready. In the commentaries I've looked up, without exception, they all say that uh, this passage is about the Lord teaching his disciples to be ready and watching for his sec second coming. You know, I'm not sure that that is exclusively the, what the Lord is talking about here. Um, I think actually he's, he's talking about being ready for service, not necessarily ready because he's coming to take us away. So verse 35, he says, be dressed and ready for service. And you have this parable of a rich man who has been out celebrating probably for a week at a wedding. And um, he says to his, his uh, servants, I'm not sure when I'm gonna be back, um, but you know, clearly it's a big deal. When I get back, um, you should be ready for me and, and all the things that they need to catch up on. Um, and the key thing is that they're ready to serve him. And I think that's the, the message that the Lord is giving to his disciples, as well as being um, ready for when he returns. We, we see that as a future thing. Um, so the, the challenge is, are we ready when the Lord calls us to serve him? And that has lots of different um, facets to it. I can remember being taught Psalm 1 when I was a, a, a little boy. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, all of that stuff. And you get to a point that says, he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And often wondered, you know, a, a tree doesn't always yield fruit there are seasons when, the, when it's not right. So does that mean that there are times in our Christian lives when actually God's not expecting us to be fruitful? I think the answer is that we produce fruit when we're expected to. We yield our fruit in season, or in other words, where there is an opportunity, we respond to it. And the question is, when an opportunity presents itself to us, are we ready? Do we have um, our minds and our hearts prepared to respond? Uh, Peter also talks about it again, very f uh, familiar verse, 1 Peter 3 and 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. And you have the thought there of Peter saying to the disciples he was writing to, you need to live provocative lives. You need to live lives that are distinctive. You have Christ set apart as Lord in your life. Therefore, your priorities, your treasures um, are different. And when people are curious about that, they'll say, you know, explain the reason for the hope you have and you should be ready with an answer. There's a, an, also a, a beautiful expression in 1 Corinthians 12. That's a passage about um, spiritual gifts in a church. And verse 18 says, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And the, the teaching there is we're all different body parts and we all have our job to do and we've been gifted to do it. And 
it says that God has arranged the body parts and you have the, the idea of an orchestra or, uh, I don't know, some kind of play that's choreographed and we've all got our part to play and it's different. We're all practiced, we're all gifted to do it and the Lord is there and he's the, the guy who's conducting the whole process and he's looking around and, you know, when it becomes my turn to whack my triangle, I've got to be alert and waiting. And when it becomes your turn, you've got to be alert and waiting. And I think that that's a fundamental part of this teaching, that it's not just about anticipating the unknown return of the Lord. It's about every day sitting, looking for his, the opportunity that he presents to us to be his witness, to um, follow his instructions and to do what he expects of us, to yield our fruit in season and to make our contribution to the um, symphony that he is orchestrating. What does being ready look like? And back to verse 35, um, it says, um, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Interesting, a couple of um, illustrations. He's um, saying that the people should be dressed for service, dressed appropriately um, for service. My mind goes to um, Hebrews 12 and 1. It says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I think in those times when you see illustrations of the kind of clothes that people were, were, were wearing, it's necessary for them to prepare themselves for action by that strange expression, girding up your loins, which I think means um, tuck your, your long gown in your belt. So kind of pull it up, tuck it in so that you're not uh, going to trip over when you try and run or go and do something or, or work. And isn't the thought here, and relating it back to Hebrews 12, that there should not be things um, that are cluttering up our opportunity to get stuck in to our service. And Hebrews relates it to um, sin that so easily entangles. And I think one of the things the Lord is saying where he's, where he's saying be dressed for service is don't let yourself be tripped up by sin. Make sure that um, our lives are in a condition where sin is not ruling over us. Sin is dealt with every day and we are free from its impact. My mind also went to Ephesians 6 about the armour of God and you have the sense that um, Paul who wrote Ephesians from prison in Rome was you know, looking at the, the Roman God who was looking after him and reflecting on the amazing um, clothes and armour and stuff that he would have been wearing and that's what prompted him, inspired him to uh, write the, those texts about the armour of God. And maybe there's an element of Hebrews 2.12 and an element of Ephesians 6 saying we should throw off the things that entangle us, that's the sin, and we should put on the armour of God that enables us to um, fight uh, the battle that is ours for today. 
So they were to be dressed and ready for service and they, they were also to keep your lamps burning, fueled and trimmed, that means. So it would have been an oil lamp, a, a wick stuck in a, in a bowl of oil. And the idea is that for it to shed light, you need to keep the wick trim and you need to keep the, um, the bowl full of oil. Some of us brothers who were together last weekend talking about our service, our public service in, in the church, in the assembly meetings, we watched a, quite a challenging video, old video in the 1970s from Billy Graham. And he was talking about his own approach to um, being a um, public speaker and um, someone who was preaching the gospel um, all the time. And one of the things he labored was, we can't do this unless we're men of God. You know, we, we can't do it theoretically. We have to be men of God. And one of the things that characterizes a man of God is a private devotional life. So we all have a private life. Uh, that's the bit that only we know about, and it happens in secret. And what he was saying is, my private devotions, my time in God's word and my time in prayer are what fuels my ministry. And it's not just fueling him with um, commitment and the power of the spirit. It's fueling him with ideas. <laughs> He's reading God's word and harvesting ideas from it and turning them into, in his case, evangelical um, sermons uh, that he would preach. I would just appeal to us that part of being dressed ready for service and having our lamps shining is that we have a healthy, and I'm not just talking to brothers, but brothers and sisters together, we have a healthy devotional life. And one of the things that I, I've felt really beneficial in my own struggle with that is as we seek to read God's word devotionally and have a, an appetite for harvesting things from it that will be an encouragement to us, one of the things that I found really helpful is to um, read our Bible with a notebook by the side. Thanks, Ray. So, you know, we should always be reading God's word and getting something from it. And in my own experience, it's so difficult to read God's word and retain it. You know, I'm thinking 10 minutes later, what, what did I read? If, it's a really simple thing, but it works. If you read God's word and don't let it go until you've written something down, and it might be a simple thought, but it's something that you can hook onto. And, you know, maybe we use that thought in our worship offering. Maybe that's the orientation we have when we look at God's word. I need to find something from it about the Lord and then I can write it down and deliver it back during the remembrance. Just a really simple thing and it's about our daily private devotions. That's what, in my view, being ready looks like. It's having a uh, personal devotion. Let's move to number three, which is uh, proportional expectations. Verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. 
we've got two things here. We've got someone who's been given much and someone who's been entrusted with much. I think the they're not just two ways of saying the same thing, you know, for, for the purposes of emphasis. I think there are two things, and, I, and I'm suggesting that the given much is a nod back to um, treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. And it kind of underpins what I said earlier about um, we're, we're quite a, a privileged community, aren't we? Relatively speaking, God has blessed us a lot. And um, those of us who are given much have a responsibility, I think, to, um, or God expects much from us. And I'm going to um, point that to material things. And it, it's again why perhaps I think it's no accident that these two um, statements from the Lord appear next to each other, his comments about material things and building up treasure in heaven and where our heart is. Um, and then he's saying that to whom much has been given, much would be expected. What about to those who have been entrusted um, with much? I think that perhaps is more to do with our responsibility that God has given us. And that works in the context of the parable. Um, the Lord had been speaking about those um, who, those servants who had the responsibility to look after other servants and to make sure they were fed um, at the right time of the day and with the right stuff and things. Um, I'd like to think that it also applies to what we've been entrusted with in the way of teaching. You know, the, the reality is that um, the Holy Spirit teaches us from God's word and we're at different levels of understanding you know and we always will be being a mature disciple is about going deeper and deeper and embracing more and more of God's truth as he reveals it to us and often perhaps we um, get consumed with the thought that some other Christian is doing it wrong <laughs> you know well the reality is perhaps they haven't got the revelation of scripture that we have and it's not for us to criticize that they're doing it wrong it's not for us to make that judgment at all god has expectations of them based on what has been revealed to them what god has revealed to them and god has expectations of me in terms of what god has revealed to me and i think it's a it's a real challenge to our um, response to his calling we're talking about um, being ready and watching this idea of being proactive um, looking for opportunities to serve and of course um, looking for opportunities to serve um, when we're in a church of God is looking for every opportunity there is for us to engage in that um, community in that in that service together whether we're brothers or whether we're sisters I think it applies to every aspect of our service. We have, um, we've been blessed with responsibility and the Lord is saying to his disciples, you be ready and watching and waiting and be ready to yield your fruit in season. You know, there's maybe also a nod towards the judgment seat of Christ in, um, in this passage that the Lord is talking about. I'm not 
I'm not wanting to dismiss any future element. I think it's a very important present element about us being dressed for service and ready for service. But there's also a future element when the Lord will return. And, you know, that business about being delighted um, with the reality of experiencing him face to face and also with the, the question mark as to whether we're ready. Um, there will be a time when we have to give an account and we give an account to the Lord for what we've done with our lives. And maybe that's the, the focal point here when we think about the future. The Lord has been challenging his disciples and challenging us with the, the readiness for service as opportunities occur. And again, it, it comes back to what storing up treasure in heaven looks like. I know we can be um, so consumed by the material things that there are around us um, that we, we miss the point. I think Ian was saying last week the illustration of, of the rope, a great long rope, and our life is a little few centimetres in you know, a mile long rope. It's, it's insignificant in the whole picture of it. And one day we have to account as to uh, what we did with that tiny little proportion of our lives when they're seen in the context of all eternity. Finally, let's go to a call for faithfulness, which is verse 49 to 43. It's a really diff difficult passage, um, I think, because it, it arguably is um, in contrast to some other expressions that the Lord Jesus has used about his own coming. He says, I have come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is complete. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. Um, you know, this might be an example where in the audience there were people who were somehow at odds with each other because of what the Lord was was preaching, maybe even within the same family. And um, in a subtle way, perhaps those who had that issue that they were struggling with, the Lord was able to speak to them. The only way I can kind of try and summarize what I think the message is there in us, for us today, is that um, the Lord wants us to respond to him. We're waiting for his return. We're waiting for his instructions. And he's enabled us to, um, he's gifted us to be able to step up to that. Um, and when we start to be bombarded with other things that would distract us from that, like how's my family going to react or there's disagreement, um, perhaps the solution is just to get back to what the Lord wants. It's about him. It's about his calling. It's about his expectations of us. And um, with that as our priority, easier said than done, but with that as our priority, um, I'm sure that with God's grace, these other things will uh, fall into place. Um, in conclusion, by being watchful, uh, that kind of proactive waiting, not just for the Lord's return, but for his call to service day by day, we find our priorities and times get realigned and in the process we accumulate treasure in heaven. Let the last word be to Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. Shall we pray?